talkies. My name is Ricky Vincent. From I'm Gary Niederhoff, KDFA subscription directors. Yes, nearly 60 years ago, what started out as an experiment is now a legacy built upon a commitment to bring cultural diversity to the airwaves. Become part of this legacy. Visit kpfa.org for more information. Become part of KPFA now. And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Stay tuned next for Cover to Cover Open Book. Welcome to Open Book and Cover to Cover. Cover to Cover Open Book today is uh, continuing our program from last week. We hear part two of Mushroom Cloud, uh, Antenna Theater's interviews of bomber pilots, bombing victims, and colonial, colonial Paul Tibbetts, pilot of Angola Gay. Political speeches and popular songs chart our changing attitudes towards the atomic age. Stay tuned as we continue our program. I was instructed to drop the bomb, and that was the thing that I was going to do to the best of my ability. Welcome to Mushroom Cloud, Tales from the Atomic Age. Word has just been received from the Atomic Energy Commission that due to a change in wind direction, the residue from this morning's atomic detonation is drifting in the direction of St. George. Our biggest fear was the Russians, and that we were taught to be afraid of what they would do to us, not what our own government was going to do to us or what they were doing to us. Mushroom Cloud. We will not prematurely or unnecessarily risk the course of worldwide nuclear war in which even the fruits of victory would be ashes in our mouth. One time ago, a crazy dream came to me. I dreamt I was walking World War Three. Stay tuned for Mushroom Cloud from HearingVoices.com. During the atomic age, the bomb was lurking everywhere. It hit out in Cuba and God knows where else. It roamed the ocean on submarines, and it might very well be in your own backyard near a secret government test site. You never know unless you had the bad luck to live downwind like the people in Klaus Andreasen's Downwinder Diaries. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt this program to bring you important news. Word has just been received from the Atomic Energy Commission that due to a change in wind direction, the residue from this morning's atomic detonation is drifting in the direction of St. George. It is suggested that everyone remain indoors for one hour or until further notice. There is no danger. When um, Bethany was three, she was sick and complained of a lot of different things. Um, I took her to five doctors here and they kept telling me nothing was wrong with her. She was just constipated and we'd go through the whole rounds of all this and finally ended up taking her in the middle of the night to Salt Lake. And at that time she was diagnosed with stage four neuroblastoma, which is a cancer that's in embryo and for some reason just goes crazy and um, 
was in her bones and her bone marrow and they gave us a 5% chance she'd live two years. I took her back to Salt Lake and she was diagnosed with a totally different cancer, acute monoblastic leukemia. Drove home on Valium just crazy, crying all the way with her and the car and, and I got home and my sister died that day. So it, it was, we were totally devastated and uh, Bethany died a month later. I was truly living the American dream. We were. We had three wonderful children. My husband had a good job. I had a job. We lived in the most beautiful place on earth, you know. Was living what we thought was the American dream. And and it did. It actually turned into a nightmare. Maybe we were considered maybe a superior community. And they wanted to see what had happened to us, if we could withstand it, if our if our bodies were strong enough or our lifestyles were good enough that we could endure this and live through it. I've thought about that. Our biggest fear was the Russians and that we were taught to be afraid of what they would do to us, not what our own government was going to do to us or what they were doing to us. When the invisible cloud had passed, the total amount of radiation deposited on St. George was far from hazardous. The Atomic Energy Commission doesn't take chances on safety. On this one morning, we just pulled from uh, Sand Spring Valley over Coyote Pass and going into Tickaboo Valley. And I was sitting there on the horse and just had my legs cocked up out of the stirrups over the saddle horn because it was easy to ride that way. And I had them just sitting on and watching the sheep. They were all spread out. And all at once, that son of a bitchin' bomb went off. So I told Jay, I said, well, <clears throat> Jay, I'll get down and go around the leaders and turn them back and you cook breakfast have breakfast and then with nothing to eat and you'll go on so I rode my horse down around the lead and turned the lead back and the doggone uh, cloud come up like just like a mushroom and spread out the way I remember it was kind of a blue gray cloud and it come up and it just mushroomed out and it was just like, well, looking that way, and it came right square over the top of us, where we were. God, they just started dying like flies, you know. And we couldn't figure out what in the hell was the matter with them sheep. They'd be a hundred head of sheep dead, and we'd, we'd throw them on a track and haul them off and put them in a pile out here, what they call eight mile. We'd haul them off and figure we had all that was going to die. We'd come back in to feed them the next morning, and there'd be another hundred head laying there dead around those mangers. We couldn't figure what was happening. And it wasn't just our herd that was doing it. It was all of them, all the sheep that had been out there in Nevada. Those atomic energy vets come into the, to our yards like this. They autopsied them. They'd say, oh, this is a hot one. Geez, this is a hot one. These are all hot, you know. 
and we'd take them out to piles of dead ones that we had hauled out. They'd put those Geiger counters wide, the needles going through off the post. These are really hot. They covered it up. There's no question about it. This lawyer got <coughs> got us in a room there one day, and he says, we admit we killed your sheep. He says, we admit it. But he says, we're not going to, you're going to lose this case in court. Because he says every pregnant woman, every sick person will sue the government. And he says, not only that, they're going to they'd stop these tests. And he says, these tests have got to go on. He said that his horse had been sick. He said when he would ride down in the low washes and freshy areas where there was uh, scrub oak, that there was like a ground fog. But he could taste it. It had a metallic taste. And he could feel it on his skin. Well, within a matter of a, a few weeks, the horse got down. It was a young horse, good healthy horse, a nice horse. Got down, couldn't get up. The vet couldn't figure out anything wrong with him. He never did. Within a few days, he died. The sheep also, many of them were sick. And it was interesting, you'd grab a hold of them, you know, like you do sheep to move them around sometimes, and their wool had just come out in big patches, and they got sores around their muzzles. And uh, then Kent's hair began to come out in big patches. Well, he was a teenager, you know, and this was very alarming to him, and, and uh, went to the doctor, and the doctor had no idea what was wrong with him. He ended up giving him vitamin shots. He said, it probably won't do any good, but it can't do any harm, and I don't know what else to do. But it was interesting, because a lot of other people in the community were having it. Both men and women had their hair coming out in patches, and it tended to be people that worked out of doors. Now, that spring, when my brother got sick at that camp, of the eight men that were in the camp, all except two of them died with some form of cancer. He got bigger and bigger, and he was so young and healthy, except for that cancer that was eating him up, that he finally starved to death, died from malnutrition, because his food couldn't digest anymore, and painful. It was as big as a basketball, and his and the skin was stretched so tightly over his bones, his eyes couldn't close and his mouth couldn't close, and he couldn't lay his legs out straight. And I remember lying beside him just before he died, the night before he died, propping his legs up because he was a little more comfortable than if we propped him with a pillow, praying that he could die. predominantly downwind population was Mormon, a population which is very accepting of authority, very patriotic, very non-questioning politically. And they figured that if they could get the uh, acquiescence of our church leaders and officials that uh, there wouldn't be any question and that's precisely what happened. Utah residents Claudia Peterson, Kern Bullock, and Janet Gordon from the series Downwinter Diaries, produced by Klaus Andreasen. Alert today, alive tomorrow. Plan now with your family for civil defense emergency action. Someday it may save your lives.
the day my Lord will come When he'll hit great God Almighty like an atom bomb When he comes, when he comes In 1945, the atom bomb became alive In 1949, the USA got very wise They found a country across the line Had an atom bomb of the very same kind The people got worried all over the land Just like folks got in Japan so I say Everybody's worried About that lemon bone And no one's worried About the day my Lord shall come You'd better Set your house in order Well, he may be coming soon And he'll Hey, 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 my Lord You know he'll hit like an atom bomb When he comes When he comes Civil defense is the way of saving lives and property it's the way to protect you and your family in case of enemy attack on the United States. It's the way of helping you to keep going in spite of attacks with atomic or biological warfare or chemicals or conventional weapons. In the beginning, there was nothing. Nothing at all. So says quantum physics, and so say many religions. Can you picture nothing? You can't see it as vast or dark or empty because space doesn't exist. And you can't tell how long it goes on because time doesn't exist either. You can perhaps get a feel for it by imagining yourself trapped in an elevator with Paris Hilton. Sooner or later, your mind will drift toward the attractive possibility of a violent explosion. Just blow it up. A big bang. We began by exploding, and we will end the same way. So it seemed during those years, stamped with the image of the mushroom cloud, it was easy to imagine the end of everything. This vision is from poet Lawrence Ferlinghetti. I thought I heard some nightingale. <laughs> yeah, what an illusion. I must have been dreaming, dreaming again. A nightingale out here. A jeweled nightingale. I thought I saw some great light or something. A radiance, a wave of radiance, or whatever. A wave of love, or whatever, or hate, love or hate. A wave of love or hate sweeping the country? Sweeping the whole country? A Pacific tidal wave. A Pacific tidal wave. One mile high. Nebraska sinks with it. 
coyotes are confounded and swim nowhere. An orchestra on stage in Omaha keeps on playing Handel's water music. Horns filled with water and bass players float away on their instruments, clutching them like lovers horizontal. Chicago's loop becomes a roller coaster. Skyscrapers filled like water glasses. Great lakes mixed with Buddhist brine. Great books watered down in Evanston. Milwaukee beer topped with sea foam. Both lava buffalo suddenly become soft. Manhattan Island swept clean in 16 seconds. Buried masts of New Amsterdam arise as the great wave sweeps on eastward to wash away overage camembert Europe. Manhattan steaming in sea vines. The washed land awakes again to wilderness. The only sound, the only sound, a vast thrumming of crickets. A cry of seabirds high over. retakes its thickets and Indians reclaim their canoes Lawrence Ferlinghetti with his Wild Dreams of a New Beginning Produced for radio by Eric Bowersfeld of Bay Area Radio Drama. With sound design by Jim McKee of Earwax and original music by Vyslav Pogorzalski. Ferlinghetti's deluge is of course meant to frighten you. Shapeless, unending water is chaos itself. The void, the nothing at the heart of fear. We were afraid during the atomic age. And you know what? We're not out of the woods yet. Recently, writer Scott Carrier drove across the country asking the people he met what they were afraid of. I'm Alex Caldero. I live in, uh, in Orem, Utah. I'm afraid of being homeless. I'm not afraid of death. I'm not afraid of pain. I'm not afraid of war. I'm not afraid of uh, losing my job. I'm not afraid. I've been through all of that. But I am afraid of being homeless. Without a place where you could uh, sleep and wake up okay. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, going to sleep at night with a roof over your head and a bed is the most wonderful thing that, that you could do. <laughs> My name is Bernardo Chavarria. I'm afraid that I will not be a person that will be accepted by the Lord because I am afraid of the Lord because He 
is my maker. Uh, I'm Arella Zimmelman, and we are in Goodland, Kansas. I, I guess what happened September the 11th, I, I can't believe that somebody would be that cruel to America when we are so good to people. Are you still frightened by it? Are you still afraid of it? No, I use God. And and God has to help me. I've had cancer, loss of some of the Gehrig disease, and all, a, a husband with Alzheimer's. And if you if I didn't have God, I couldn't handle it. Well, why why do you think that the people who attacked us on 9/11 hate us? Do you think thought about that? I think they're jealous of us. Hmm. I really do. I think they feel like we got too much and they don't have anything. Well, that's true, isn't it? Sure. Sure. And we're a free country. And they don't like that, that we're free. Jerry Dan Langley. Jerry Dan Langley. And we're at uh, 64 and I-25. I'm afraid that uh, people have been misled and don't know the Lord. That's what I'm afraid of. But as far as fear, I fear no man or beast. Uh-huh. As far as me being afraid of the Lord, I've known the Lord since the beginning. You know, my spirit has been fighting the devil and demons the whole time. And the day is here, man. This is the seventh day. All right? One day of the Lord's a thousand years. At the year, at the beginning of 2000 was the end of the sixth day. And he's not in charge anymore. Now, the truth is here. Jesus. The next thousand years is the Lord's judgment on sin. How do you know Jesus is here? He's in the flesh, man. But have you seen Don't him? you know who you're talking to? Um, Cochran McMillan. I'm from... I grew up in Alabama. Bruton, Alabama. South, near Pensacola, Florida. I'm afraid of death. That's the root of, of my fears. Is, 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 is death. I guess death of my body. Death of my loved ones. Just life and it's all it's dying and um, Just wondering what preparation will be useful for that experience. I mean I think it's gonna hurt. Yeah, it does hurt. It hurts Melissa Johnson Well, I, I've definitely dealt with illness most of my life and so that's been always something that It's so painful that it does cause a little bit of fear sometimes I think Malaria. Yeah. Uh, that is, it's so intense. It's it comes on every evening. You can think you're fine during the morning, and then I guess it's whatever time of the day of the day that you were bit, and your entire body seizes up, and you just go into tremors or convulsions for hours and hours and hours, and it doesn't go away. And you sort of lose your mind. I mean, I was definitely not very coherent. And the washcloths they were putting on my head, I would dry them up in a matter of minutes. So it was 105, 106 fever. Something like that. Otis Carney. We're in Cora, Wyoming. Well, north of Cora on the Green River. I, I see a succession of wars, endless wars for an endless peace, so-called. And... Um, the, the desire is to clean up the whole Middle East and remove any threats from the state of Israel. 
and they, the Israelis have tremendous power over our political system. And I think that the next target is Iran, and I think they're setting them up, so this will just continue. And I think we'll live in a warlike state. Uh, or, or until the deficit gets so big, the casualties grow, the endless wars become untenable to the American people, then conceivably there might be a tremendous uprising and, and a change for going back to the original principles, the Republican principles of this country. Uh, my name is Mike, and we're in San Luis, uh, Colorado, the oldest town in the state of Colorado. Broke down on the side of the interstate. I'm afraid of poor leadership. What, which leaders are you talking about? Oh, you get spiritual leaders, uh, any, anybody at that, spiritual leaders, uh, mother and father, um, uh, presidents and stuff. Uh, for instance, the crap that's going on in the Middle East right now, we don't need to be over it. Religious war has been going on for 6,000 years. This country's 500 years old. Who are we to tell them what they can and can't do? Have you been in the military? Yes, I have. Huh. And I was in the Middle East. Really? Previous Gulf War? No, I was in the early 80s when all this really started. Huh. And stuff when Saddam Hussein was put into power. Uh, I had dealt with uh, the simple fact that... Uh, I wiped out generations of families and never even got to see them, you know. That was our job. We went in and took out men, women, children. It didn't make no difference and stuff. That was the whole objective. That's why 23 years later, they're just now starting to label us as Lebanon Grenada vets and talk about it. What would you do? What would I do? Go in there just like we did before. That means it doesn't make no difference. Don't just kill the men, everybody. Men, women, children, they're all. And then when they see that, they say, okay, well, that's a little bit different story now. These people are playing by our rules, <laughs> which they don't have none. You know? But you're talking about going out and killing a large number of innocent civilians, basically. That's what you're proposing. They're doing it to themselves. They're doing it to us and stuff like that. So why not, uh, you know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth? My name is Stephen Shin. I live here in Flagstaff, Arizona. You ask me what I fear. I fear ignorance. I fear intolerance. I, f I fear dogma. I fear ingrained poisoning of people's minds through pedagogy. You know, just passing it down, the same pedagogy, the same, the same uh, thing that, you know, that I knew, that my parents knew, that my great-grandparents knew. You know, well, this is how we were raised. We don't think for ourselves, because this is how we know it. This is all we know, and it's what we're going to know. We're not going to know anything else. I don't want to read your book. I don't want to hear your, your opinion, because it's wrong, because we're right. My name's Gretel Ehrlich, and we're somewhere in southwestern Wyoming, in the west slope of the Wind River Mountains. I guess I'm afraid of not understanding what fearlessness really is you know when all the things that can happen in your life um, you know the loss of a loved one or something that, that at that moment I'm not brave enough to just sort of get down on my hands and knees and put myself nose to nose with death or decay or 
impermanence or, you know, just not be courageous. I mean, I'm not sure if I, you ever can know if you're feeling what another being is feeling, but you give yourself over, complete surrender so that they can use you. You know, you're just there completely for them. Or it doesn't have to be about death, but it just... Or that I wake up and forget to just greet the day. Imagine if you can. The earth itself without form.